Use the force. Live long and prosper. I'm going to Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Lilu Dallas Multipass. Shut up and take my money. By Grabthar's hammer. What a saving. One does not simply walk into Mordor. X never, ever marks the spot. Winter is coming. You're a wizard, Harry. Stay a while and listen. Hey, old Kermit the Frog here. Your ties are cool. So say we all. This is a play on nerds. Greetings, a play on nerds listeners. You're about to listen to our interview with the awesome musician Mark with a C. You can listen to the full episode with our usual shenanigans, as well as nerdy news and trailer reviews, by checking out our iTunes feed or by heading straight to aplayonnerds.com. To kick things off, here's a track from his new album, Unicorns Get More Bacon. It's called Ethics in Gaming. Enjoy the interview. knew a band they were almost big but they weren't big because they got all fucked up on heroin but that's okay because that's how you play the rock and roll game because everything everybody does these days is a game it's all a game if you're kind of good at something they'll say you got game yeah kid you've got game Fury has like 10 cooking shows and people make fun of his shirts but that's okay he can't complain cause he's totally pwning the cooking show game but why is that even a thing cause everything everybody does these days is a game it's all a game if you're kinda good at something they'll say
right, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by the wonderful Mark with a C, a musician who I've grown to like quite a bit and who has gained a title, at least amongst my friends, as a very, very popular nerdy musician. And I'll see if he wants to uh, say that that's incorrect or if that's wrong. But either way, he's a lot of fun. <laughs> and we want to talk to him about how he got started in this field and how what kind of things he's working on now. So how you doing, Mark? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, I'd like to ask, uh, it says, uh, you said that you'd grown to like me. Does that mean that when you first heard about me, you were just going, fuck that guy? And then <laughs> eventually you went, you know what? He does doesn't suck so hard. My friends say so. <laughs> it's more of a case that I don't listen to music, period, which is really weird, I know. But I basically just listen to podcasts constantly. So I found out that I wasn't, it was making me look very uncultured. So I, at the same time I started to listen to more music, I discovered you and my roommate at the time, Josh, he went to see every one of your shows that you ever have. So I was like, what's this all about? Who's this guy? And why do they always talk about him? So I listened to more of your music. I went to your concert, got a few of your albums and I enjoy it. So, you, yeah, you grow me in that regard. Oh, thank you very much. And I am I've never heard anyone say I don't listen to music. I, I've been watching weird? this show recently called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and I'm only a few episodes into it. But there's a point where uh, a lady that the, the star is having lunch with says, oh, that was humor. You tried that earlier. Yeah, I don't like when people do that. And it was sort of like that same reaction. Like, what do you mean you don't listen to music? It's everywhere. Everything is a sound and everything can be turned into music. So I was shocked there for a second. You should have seen my face. It was probably stoic. I'm a German, but I don't care for any music written past 1986. Well, you make a good argument there. See, yeah. But most of the contemporary stuff, now nah, I'm good. And I both Steve and I that. were in chorus in, in high school. We loved to sing. Like, I, I love singing karaoke, and I, I played instruments. I played trumpet and piano, and and I just, for some reason, I just don't listen to music anymore. I think I'm, yeah. miss, I'm missing out on a big part of life in general. Yeah, we have nothing in common. This is going to be great. <laughs> well, this interview's over. Fuck it. Fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, please, instead of me introducing you, how would you introduce yourself to maybe like someone who's never known you before and at, describing what you do for your career and basically like how you got there? Who are you? basically? Oh, wow. You want to know what it's I deep. do, but how I got there. Let me start with what I do. My name's Mark with a C and I make up sarcastic lo-fi pop songs that sometimes have a bit of a nerdy bend to them. You might like them. Um, how I got there was... I started writing songs really when I was in like kindergarten. I would just make up lyrics all the time. They were a little too lyrical to be and, and too full of rock cliche to be poetry. So I realized, oh, that must be a lyric and uh, got a guitar for around my 12th birthday from my grandmother, the cheapest Spanish guitar known to man. And I just kind of decided I wasn't going to put it down till I could do something with it. And lo and behold, that's kind of all I do now. Uh, beyond that, I uh, I work for an online radio station dedicated to nothing but nerdy music 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and pretty much my entire life revolves around music and uh, showing the love of music that has really gotten me through life. I wouldn't be alive today if I didn't have music. I can't imagine what I'd be doing with myself. I don't know, maybe uh, much like Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap, I suppose I could maybe sell shoes. It depends on the hours, <laughs> but I don't think I would be happy or even close to well-adjusted. Music definitely is my barometer of whether or not I'm being a good person or not. Huh. 
That is very deep. <laughs> yeah. If I'm affecting change, some type of positive change, like you at least left and had a good time, then I did the right thing with my life that day. See, my, my goal is to just make people giggle at fart jokes. <laughs> that's I'm not sure if that's much the Much more same lofty thing. goal there, Steve. <laughs> and hey, it's attainable. It's realistic. It and I, is. I salute you. <laughs> Every day I'm living the dream. <laughs> so something I would say that I, I'm kind of trying to figure out is that when, you know, things with a nerdy slant, like you say that it's like that listening to your songs are not necessarily about anything, you know, quote unquote nerdy. It's just that for some reason they resonate with that kind of audience. Would you say that's accurate? It's not like they're about nerdy things in particular. Uh, sometimes they are. Sometimes they aren't. I don't do a ton of property specific material. Like I'm not setting yeah. out to say write a, a song from the perspective of the great intelligence from the from Doctor Who or anything. But <laughs> um what I'm doing is I'm writing from a nerdy perspective. Sure, I was called a nerd all my life when I was, you know, especially when I was a kid, especially when I um, was between sizes for glasses. So they were either way too small or way too big on my head. But beyond <laughs> that, I'm a complete and total record nerd. Like records have completely taken over my house. And I love the palette, the easel, as it were, of vinyl as a delivery method for music. Uh, so I have all of the same qualities as, say, a comic book nerd might, but with a different sort of object of intrinsic value. Yeah. So I, I am a geek, but maybe not for the most common thing that one would be a geek for, though I do like plenty of specific properties. So I, that's probably why it resonates with nerds. They can they too can hear the passion in whatever I'm singing about. And that I think to be an, an effective nerd or geek, depending on what that means to you, you just kind of have to love exploring minutia. And that's me. That's true. It's like nerding out about something is a common phrase. That's what that's all about. Yeah. And I think it's just since it's coming from your perspective as someone who's felt like a nerd their whole life in one way or another, just other nerds hear your music and they feel they're living through the same thing, especially one of your most popular songs that, uh, Life's so hard, <laughs> which is very true. That's Stephen liked that song too. I got him to listen. I to did. It. <laughs> I did enjoy that. Oh, thank you very much. But I mean, that's another thing too, which I have to ask. I don't know if this is a rude thing to ask a musician, but I, I just always think of this at concerts. I'm like, that's a song people want to hear at a lot of shows. How do you keep it fresh and interesting to sing over and over again at concerts? Because I'm always wondering that. <laughs> Well, to answer that question is difficult because I'd be given far too much away if I told you the complete and honest truth. But <laughs> one tip is to give songs breaks. And I didn't play Life So Hard for about three years. Okay. So it just had a long vacation. And then when I came back to it, since it was so natural for me to play, it was like, you know, slipping on an old pair of slippers or something. It was comfortable. It felt right. Everybody was happy to hear it. And I wasn't sick to death of it. Uh, there's other songs which will remain nameless that I, I'm currently dreadfully sick of and would really love to give a break to, but they're just very popular with audiences. So more often than not, I just kind of try to leave them out. But alternately, I don't know if I've been performing a song too often and need to leave it, leave it out. Mm. I, I'm really bad at telling. There's a song called Motherfuckers Be Bullshitting that's probably been played at, I'd say, 95% of my shows since it came out in 2011. And I never get sick of playing the song. I think that the message is still pretty on point. But I don't know if the audience is sick of it yet or not. So I keep playing it because I'm having a good time. And I hear people sing it back to me, so I have to assume they're having a good time. But you don't know when is when. Uh, life's so hard, though. 
I used to put completely different banter in the center of the song every night. Now I'm enjoying it by playing it the way that it was written very close to the recorded version because I never did that. So it still kind of feels new to me. you say this is a big question for a music person who are you say your musical inspirations are my biggest inspiration for anything musical is pete townsend wow okay it's a hell of a choice well i mean i i saw the who on tv when i was about five years old it was uh what 
what a massive Who fanatic would tell you is a rather tepid performance. It was supposed to be their final show in Toronto in 1982. They were supposed to break up after that. And of course, we all see how that went. But that never seems to happen. (laughs) Everybody thought they were going through the motions at the time and they were just phoning in the show. And knowing what I know now about the Who, I know that to be true about that gig. But it was still so exciting for me at the time that I looked at that performance and went, well, that's what I'm going to be doing with the rest of my life. And besides that, it's the root of all nerd rock. I mean, you're going to tell me that a song about an anti-hero, a deaf, dumb, and blind kid who can play a mean pinball is not the root of all nerd rock. (laughs) That does make a lot of sense. Beyond that, 1971, he was writing a failed, what would be a failed rock opera. It never came to pass called Lifehouse, which was about everybody not going outside anymore because they were all connected through a grid where they could find out how each other was feeling at the time. You might know it as the internet, but he couldn't really explain it to the rest of the group. And they were going like, well, you'd need an awful lot of wire for that. And um, they they uh, could not understand what he was talking about. So later he just stripped it for parts and ended up using it, uh, using some of the songs as singles. So Behind Blue Eyes, Won't Get Fooled Again, Baba O'Reilly, those were all written about the internet. Internet. Wow. In 1971, long before it was anything but a military secret, you know? So, so he, he was a serious nerd then. <laughs> oh, he was a hardcore nerd, but you'd never know it. He was drinking brandy by the bucket full and groupies everywhere. And yeah, uh, but as far as when, it, when I'm totally stuck for inspiration, I can usually find it with Pete Townsend. But I mean, uh, I would say beyond that, the monkeys, the monkeys that the records made. I'm sorry, the records that the monkeys made, not the monkeys that the records made. That would be amazing. (laughs) I would love to see records make monkeys. Um, (laughs) Their recorded output really inspired me and also Duran Duran. And yes, those were big ones for me. I could tell you my influences all day long, but the big, big ones were the Who and the monkeys, specifically Mike Nesmith of the monkeys. The uh, later ones that you mentioned all seem to be have a similar theme in that they all are pretty happy in general, feeling and sounding with their songs, whether or not the, the lyrics are necessarily about happy things. But they all seem to be a positive feeling when you listen to their music. Is that kind of accurate? The monkeys, I think, I think their trick worked. If you <laughs> go through any monkeys track and, and really strip it for parts, you're going to find that they are the most depressing topics imaginable. They are just the saddest (laughs) songs. And I point specifically to their 1968 or maybe it's early 69 album called Instant Replay. It's the first record that they made without Peter Tork. They made it as a trio. The show had been canceled. And I firmly believe that it's the first email album of all time. It's the most depressing (laughs) 30 minutes you will ever hear, but you would never know it if you were just listening to the instrumental tracks. You'd go, God, what a happy album. These guys just must have been a blast to hang out with. (laughs) So I like happy music, sad lyrics, what the Smiths and the Cure were all built on. The music I hear with you is like, yeah, if you actually listen to what you're singing, it's pretty deep and sometimes very kind of depressing. But there's some usually a hopeful tone to it, but also just it sounded by itself. If you weren't listening to lyrics, sounds very positive and happy and uplifting. Are there any more recent bands that you find yourself digging on? Oh, yeah, tons. Uh, Just today, I received in the mail the new album by Taco Cat, who I really love. Um, They're they're another group where you think you're hearing one song, and then once you 
really pour through the lyrics, you find out that it's actually been about something completely different and it's quite disturbing. Like their recent song uh, that opens side two of their new album, Lost Time, is called Plan A, Plan B. And I just thought, oh, happy little song. And I went, oh, no, Plan B became her Plan A. What a horrible night. And um, it was a lot darker than I thought, but it sounded like happy surf (laughs) punk, you know? And uh, also, as far as nerd music goes, there's a lot of great music being made by nerdy groups like Kirby Crackle, um, my buddies in Cyfried. The Double Clicks are one of my favorites. They just constantly keep putting out great new albums. There's tons of great music being made. And you're playing with them soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to play with the Double Clicks uh, for the second time. I got to see them at Dragon Con. They were a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Their their live shows are the bestest. Can you give us an example of a, a current musician that you just think is overrated or you just friggin' hate? I absolutely <laughs> refuse to do that. If they're making art and they're being honest about it, why on earth would I say that they're bad for doing that? Sorry, man. That's not a bad question. I'm just not going to play it. No, I, I, but there are, I see what you mean with like being honest about it, though. There are people who are not being honest with their art and it's not really them it's their brand and there's nothing really art yeah that's what i would pose i would pose that not all music is art look if if the kardashians all decided to make like a very kardashians christmas type album (laughs) then i would probably bag on that a little bit but at the same time no matter who you are if you're not completely independent as a musician there's some manner of label hierarchy or someone breathing down your neck that something's got to sound this way and hit all of these marks or they're not going to put their money into it so it's very hard to keep that honesty intact if anybody at all is pumping money into your music you're always trying to please someone else so there's a there's a hint of that for everybody knowing that i just i don't feel like it's right to bag on someone when they got up, they wanted to make art, and the fact that you've heard of them means that someone somewhere went, they're doing it right, and it made their day a little better, and I, I don't want to talk trash on them. Uh, you're much better men than we are. That's very I true. I mean, I've, yeah, but I've heard <laughs> of good, Charles, Ma- man. Charles Manson, too, but that doesn't mean, you know. <laughs> well, he's he also he not currently making between records. famous and infamy. <laughs> he's only made a couple of records, and he hasn't put any out in the last decade, I don't think. That's Wasn't true. he, like, involved with um, uh, Brian Wilson? was actually the drummer from the Beach Boys. He was... Oh, the drummer. Yeah, he was hanging out with Dennis Wilson, and he gave him a demo of a song called... I think it was called uh, Never Learn Not to Love, but then the Beach Boys recorded it for a B-side, and they changed the name to Cease to Exist. And I might have those titles slightly backwards, but either way, that reportedly, depending on who you believe, the fact that they had changed something about the song when they recorded it infuriated Manson to the point that the LaBianca Tate murders happened. And there are certain dramatizations that make you believe that there was a direct line where he was upset because his music was heard incorrectly. So let's kill a bunch of people. God, that's terrible thought. (laughs) So yeah, that does sound like a better narrative. There you go. I get really mad at Charles Manson. (laughs) There you go. That's the one guy you can get mad. That is actually the correct answer to that question. I asked. So good job. You passed. Yeah. So on that artistic <laughs> note, I do have a question because this is something I think anyone who's involved in a creative field, especially, I mean, probably in, in regular non-creative fields as well, but um, getting started and then making a career out of it and making it something you can live off of because we have to be practical human beings and somehow make a living. And so you're in a very enviable spot to many people in that you are making your living off doing what you love to do. Uh, so how did you get to that point and how, what advice would you have for people who are trying to do that as well? Well, I'd say to you, do you like fast cars? 
um, loose whatever the gender of the object of your affection might have <laughs> happen to be. Do you like having a lot of money, enough sleep, good food? Well, then I advise you to hang on to your dreams and work on them on nights and weekends because you're not going to make any of those things happen by <laughs> making music. Um, you've got to be ready to fail constantly because that's you're going to do that. But ultimately, if you keep showing up to work, someone will eventually notice that you work there. And it doesn't matter if everybody notices. It only matters that the right person notices. And that's kind of been me. I've just been showing up waiting for the right people to notice. And some of them have. That's it. If you want to make the music, don't let anything stand in your way. Not even me. If you played a song for me and I said, oh, well, you know, the bridge is a little, you know, kind of shaky and you go a little out of key there. Even me. Don't listen to me. Make the art you want to make. When it sounds good to you, you've done it right. There's only you that can make art the way that you will make it. You cannot stop making it because you don't believe in yourself because then we've got a giant void where your art should have been. It's part of the ecosystem. Well, along that way, uh, were there any things you had to do to support yourself um, besides the music? It was the music just not cutting it sometimes. Oh, yeah. I always do odd things. You know, sometimes mastering records or, uh, you know, retail jobs, those those things come and go and they're fleeting and it's best not to dwell on them. But I think I think my least favorite one that I did in the interim was around the time of the Life So Hard album where I was working in a liquor store oh. and uh, that's not necessarily the worst job one can have. And I'm not saying that if you work in a liquor store, you're a bad person. But if you work in a liquor store and let's say you've got the opening shift, you see people in the worst positions imaginable. You're watching the same customers every day that are coming in with the shakes and they can't go to work until they've down like 10 shots. And it's really dehumanizing to watch. Not sad, uh, you know, not to to do as a for a living, but it's uh, probably ranked right up there with social worker, I'd say, for making you happy, you know, or working the kids cancer ward, which is what my uh, my ex-girlfriend's sister used to do. I can't I wouldn't be able to imagine that. I mean, but she's doing a great job. She's doing a good thing for the world. Like. Uh, you kind of know when you're working at a liquor store, this isn't doing anybody any favors. But <laughs> in first thing in the morning, you see those ramifications. You oh. see the damage that your business is doing. And that, that was a real hard one for me. Yeah, hard emotionally, I'd imagine. That got dark. Brighten it up. <laughs> Let's brighten it up a bit, shall we? <laughs> uh, have you had any songs that maybe you didn't feel great about, but then inexplicably people like them? Yes. Yes, I am the worst at picking the popular songs from my records. Every song that I think is going to be the popular one never, ever is. On the album Life So Hard, I was sure that the singles were going to be, and mind you, that that album's 10 years old now. I thought that the single was going to be Military Brat, and it turned out the single was actually the title track. I'd had the title track for two years and didn't release it because... I'd actually written it about something so incredibly specific that I wasn't sure that people were going to get it. And, well, we all know how that turned out. Uh, (laughs) On the new record, I was going to go with a song called Celebutance for the first single. It's track two. It's a good song. My my daughter, who's 16, said, why aren't you releasing the first song as the single? That's the catchiest one, which is the title track, Unicorns Get More Bacon. I had no idea, but she was totally right. Hello, it's nice to be here. 
Sometimes you really need that third party to to come in and shake you and go, yeah, yeah, this is the one. But there are early songs of mine. There are early songs that got inexplicably popular within my listener base that I've done my best to erase from the Internet. And uh, (laughs) um, I just you can kind of tell my feelings on a song if I don't play it. If I don't Mm. play it, good chance I don't like it. 
But then at some point during while you were making that song, you had to have been like, I'm not liking this. This is not going well. Why am I doing this <laughs> if you don't like it so much? Sometimes it's more like hindsight is 2020, but there's also mm. a little bit of, well, maybe it'll be good. And that's totally my slogan when I'm writing or recording anything. I'm always going, maybe it'll be good. Because again, what I think are going to be the popular songs, the songs that are going to resonate with the audience the most, never are. So you kind of got to throw everything against the wall to see what is going to stick. And it's up to your listeners. It's not up to you. You can try your best to force something down someone's throat. But at the end of the day, if they're not clicking with it, it, there's nothing you can do to change that. I think at this point you should make your daughter your manager because she obviously has a good musical sense of what's going to be popular and she made your new album cover. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> I owe a lot to her on the new record. Yeah, you got you got me covered on that one. Um, trying to think, though, specifically of a song that got popular that I really didn't like. No, there's just more songs that I kind of regret and people go, why don't you play this one? Uh. Like, they're not my favorites, but there's only like two songs that I go back and go, oh, God, what was I thinking? <laughs> we've all been there we've all had those nights yes i mean haven't you guys recorded a podcast where you go back and you're like why did we cover that subject or why did we have this person on <laughs> every damn episode <laughs> gee thanks you know what fuck this i'm out of here i'm just fuck you yeah. <laughs> hold on are we still recording oh yeah we're still recording <laughs> Oh, we never I left cut. The room. <laughs> He's committed to that. <laughs> All right, where are we That's, at? I think uh, for a long time, one of our most downloaded and popular episodes was our episode on books, which Jarman and I, <laughs> neither of us, were convinced that was a good episode. <laughs> we're gonna do a p- audio podcast about books, about books, <laughs> and no one's gonna listen to this. And it had like 150 downloads. It's like our yeah, that was our biggest one for a long time. <laughs> So what did you do if neither of you are episodes on books, but you did an episode, uh, you know, about nothing but books? What did you talk about for that hour? <laughs> we talked about our favorite books, authors books we enjoy. Like <laughs> it's like stuff. an NPR, like it was real bad. A local but NPR people loved show. it. <laughs> <laughs> we tricked them real good. Oh well, if it was a parody, then that's very different. I mean, that, that would have been better, actually. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> you we were just have selling it to me as a parody. Yeah. Oh, now I'm no, disappointed. Was I was going to go listen to that as soon as we were done. Well, not as soon as. Well, not even tonight. <laughs> Probably not this week. Um, I was going to remember three years from now that I was supposed to listen to that episode. That's what was going to happen. <laughs> That's when we thought we were young, serious podcasters. Boy, were we wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a couple things going on right now. I want to make sure we talk about them. And uh, just very recently, you have an EP out for a, a charity of sorts. Yes, uh, a fan of ours who now has become a friend named Aubrey. She was a, a very sweet attendee of our shows, but I found out that she was ill with cystic fibrosis, which is a horrific disease. And her mom had actually started a GoFundMe, which had kind of stalled out at around 700 bucks. And a light bulb went off over my head that eh, sometimes people give me money when I sing songs. So let's try to release something where... The money has no filter. It just goes directly to her. And that's what we did. We plugged in the instruments into an old school cassette four track. Now, mind you, uh, like uh, most musicians, now I'm recording with computers and 
you know, all of the accoutrements of the day. But all of my early records were recorded on a cassette four track. So I went, all right, we're going to do the new style with the live band that I use, which had never actually been committed to tape before. But we're going to use this old equipment to record the EP. And uh, we did a few songs live in one take, released it to the world, and it's $4 or more if you want to pay more. But basically, you hand over this amount of money, you get the bonus of Mark with a C and his band, Emmett Dobbin and Jim Myers, singing some tunes, and it's going to keep someone alive. And she's just turned 20, and we want to make sure that she has as many birthdays as possible. I'd uh, go into the ins and outs of cystic fibrosis, which I'm just learning about now, but just trust me, it is one of the saddest things you'll ever learn about. It is such a depressing read, and the more I learn about it, I go, how on earth can you be so positive and so upbeat that I had no idea you were ill? How how could that even be? So... I'm not saying I wouldn't help out other people, but I was especially shocked when I found out that she was as ill as she was with such a hardcore disease. And showing that positive face in public and everything. So that's difficult to do. Yeah, she doesn't, uh, you know, get to go out a ton, as you would imagine. Yeah. And it was actually just recently at the Unicorns Get More Bacon release show where I'd met her and I didn't know that that was her though I had heard about her illness from my bassist, Emmett Dobbin, who was actually becoming rather close with her. He got to know her a bit. And I found out later, oh, this is her. And I went, no, there's no way. But, you know, when you've got a problem that affects your lungs, you've got to be really careful where you go and what environments you're in. And that night, her... She drove for like an hour to come see a Mark with a C concert. It wasn't good for her to be out. That struck such a chord with me. I was happy, elated, but also completely devastated that someone wanted to hear us sing songs that badly. And I went, I've got to pay that back. So that's uh, that's the EP. I I just felt that there was something that could be done and I'm going to do my best to do it. And uh, it's made a little bit of money for her and every little bit counts. We could always use more, of course, but if nothing else, we're trying. We're doing our best for Aubrey because she came to cheer us on when it wasn't necessarily convenient for her, you know? Definitely. And if our listeners wanted to support this cause, where can they find us? It's at markwithaseed.bandcamp.com. It's, uh, I think, the second release listed on the page. It's the Songs for Aubrey EP. You just click and... uh, yeah, you have to pay the minimum of four bucks, but you can pay really however much you want. But also, let's just say that you're hearing my words now and you're moved by it, but you don't really like the songs that I make up. And that's cool. I'm not offended. A lot of people don't like the songs I made up. But uh, in the description on the page, once you click on that album, if you'll follow the links, there's actually a link to that original GoFundMe. So you can donate directly to her, bypass me completely, just help her out. All right, you heard the man, Internet. Call to action. Do it now. <laughs> Jump on it. Yeah, I mean, you you don't even have to bring me into the equation. I'm merely the, the divining rod letting you know that this young lady could use some help if you've got a couple spare bucks. Absolutely. But if you want, you get an EP in return. True. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. i
what would you say is the biggest crowd you've ever performed for? Oh, man. I never thought about that. Oh, man. Actually, that's really caught me off guard. Never more than a couple thousand, but I can't remember specifically. A couple thousand is a pretty damn big number. Yeah, that's not bad. Let's not undersell that. There's a couple of festivals, but you don't know the exact number of people Uh, and you don't know how many were even there for you. So, uh, I don't know. A couple thousand, but not much more than that. And now on the opposite end of the spectrum, how what's the smallest crowd you've ever walked out to? Mm, that's a good question. There was – okay, remember – I think it was around the end of 2008 or 2009 when we were in this weird hybrid space where we'd all kind of jumped from MySpace to Facebook, but we hadn't told everybody yet? Yeah. Okay. I had been promoting my annual holiday show through MySpace – not realizing that everybody in like this little three-month span had all gone, nope, Facebook's where it's at. So nobody knew about this gig. And I think I played to like four or five audience members that year for what was supposed to be a marathon show of like three hours. And so I'd advertised it and I had to keep going. (laughs) So So those four or five show. <laughs> and the worst part, like I've been on stage for around three hours. I'm drenched with sweat. My face is all red and puffy. I'm especially puffy because I was drinking a lot to get through that show, which I don't do terribly often. But that night, woo, I was drunk. And all of a sudden, a photographer from the Orlando Weekly comes in because they want to document the various holiday parties going on around oh, town. No. So if you were to dig hard enough, you could find the Orlando Weekly trying to shoot this show in a way that it looks like, one, I am i haven't totally checked out, and two, as if there's really an audience there. <laughs> it's out there. Dig for it. You have your mission, Internet. Oh, I'm curious now. I'm going to try to find that at some point. Oh, it's so depressing. <laughs> so actually, a weird thing I talked to you about at our show uh, the other night was that we have a large audience for this podcast in the UK. Ah, uh, hello, some UK. Reason. Yeah. And I, I, you have a following in the UK. I do. I have some listeners in the UK and, and bless them all. I'd love to come over there and sing for you. But uh, work visas are not the cheapest thing for an independent musician. But if someone knows a great workaround, oh, I probably shouldn't say that. This is only going on the internet for posterity. <laughs> I'd love to come and sing in the UK. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, absolutely. So UK people out there. Someone sponsor him for a visa or something, however that works. Yeah, can you do that? Can you, like, petition Parliament to say, ah, make an exception. He's only going to sing to, like, 50 people at a pub anyways. Jarman, your parents are immigration lawyers. They got to know something. That's true. I'll figure something out. And my uncle's from Liverpool, so he's also an attorney. So we'll figure it out. He's an attorney in Liverpool or from Liverpool? He's from Liverpool. Does he practice law in the U.S.? Yes. So it doesn't help as much. No, that's amazing because right there, you just show up with a cool accent as a lawyer. (laughs) I'm convinced that's all you need to be successful because people just have to like to listen to you talk. And if there's anything that America's ever been known for, it's been working really, really hard to completely sever ties with the UK and live as our own separate entity while we continuously obsess over everything that the UK does and go, man, I wish we were there. We even have a word for it, too. Anglophiles. Isn't that what it is? Yeah. People obsessed with British culture. <laughs> I've heard that that word thrown around, but it doesn't make much sense to me because isn't I, I assume that Anglo-Saxon was just sort of white, but maybe Caucasian I don't know my people. history. <laughs> I prefer cracker, but go on. Yeah, my uncle basically wins cases by going to court and just talking so much and so slowly and so long, they eventually just give up and let him win whatever he's talking <laughs> about. <laughs> it's pretty boring. 
so, so what kind of law does he specialize? I'm turning this interview around. What kind of law does he specialize in? Mostly t- boring tax law. Yep. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> because if you just throw in a couple of cute UK slang words, us mm. Americans, we're just so charmed so easily by it. You're so damn charming. I'll do whatever you say. That's what Hugh Grant's entire career is based on. <laughs> Being a bumbling British man. Oh, well, well, yes. I mean, uh, of course we could go down to the <laughs> pub. And- <laughs> you know, Dana Carvey did a whole stand-up act based on Hugh Grant trying to talk his way out of being caught with a sex worker. Oh, I did see that. that That's one of my favorite specials in comedy of all time. <laughs> That's. I think that actually might be my favorite, the Dana Carvey Critics' Choice special. Yep. Yeah. I'm glad we could all bond over that. They they refer uh, up to Jimmy Stewart in the Plymouth with a prostitute, and then it's Jimmy Stewart with a prostitute. It's it just keeps going. That's great. Hepburn now the salute it. Yeah. There's great stuff going on in that. <laughs> I'll strap on my Oscar and I'll do you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've actually got. Um, I've still got a copy of it. We we watch it every once in a while. Now, a lot of it's aged badly, but it's weirdly come back around since everyone's really into the show, The People versus O.J. Simpson. So now oh, you yeah. would get all those references again. But we've got this longer cut that Comedy Central didn't show where he kept improvising songs about the 49ers because he was recording it in San Francisco and trying to get a rise out of the crowd. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to see that. Part. I remember when Comedy Central first launched, that was one of six comedy specials they owned. Play it so over that thing was over. on every two to three hours. It was amazing. But thank God it was because I, oh my God, I know that thing like the back of my hand. I watched it like every night at six. (laughs) Every night at six was the Dana Carvey special. Mr. Fung, on the day, (laughs) did you shampoo your hair? Hair. (laughs) (laughs) Did you? See, we have things in common. Cream rinse your hair. That's it. It's just going to be Dana Carvey quotes for the rest of the show. That's it. Mega T, mega ta, mega to, mega two. <laughs> Every time I beckon, it's nine ninety five to you. <laughs> it's a good one too. Pooh bears. Oh, what get, was it? Piglet gets lost. Piglet gets lost. <laughs> <laughs> Put some cream on me. I'm making a rash. Oh God! Now sit your ass down. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. We we've gone down the rabbit hole of nerd dumb folks. The yep, rails are not geek no here. out over anything more specific than a Dana Carvey special from the 90s. <laughs> hey, listen <laughs> we, we to have, both of you. If you're not found familiar the with bottom. it, please check out the Dana Carvey show from ABC. It ran for not even a full season, but it is some of the most rewarding unseen 90s television ever committed to videotape. I love wow. old Dana Carvey. I have to do that. Yeah, because new, new Dana Carvey's not cutting it. Uh, well, yeah, I saw his most recent special, and by most recent, I mean this happened seven or eight years ago, and uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling it. He's still impersonating Johnny Carson, and everyone's like, we don't know who that is now. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Maybe I should just go and start impersonating Johnny Carson. <laughs> there you go. Let's do your shows as Johnny Carson for no apparent reason. No, <laughs> no, I'm going to stick with my own original material and that that I have stolen, which is too obscure for people to realize that I have stolen. Ooh. Like from that Dana Carvey special. Actually, it's funny that you mention it. Um, (laughs) The Dana Carvey show that I mentioned did greatly influence my career. One in a very specific, but it's such a long story. It's not, not really worth getting into the specifics of. But if there were no Dana Carvey show, there would be no song called Love My Little Squiddy, which people really like of mine. 
But also, I directly pulled lines from a love song that the Dana Carvey dancers sang to a giant bottle of Pepsi for my old song, I'm in Love with Everyone I Know. So I was specifically referring to <laughs> that song to see, like, well, if anyone goes, did you get that from the Dana Carvey show? I know I've got a new best friend. And <laughs> nobody true. to this day has ever caught it but my wife. So, Oh, that's why she's your wife. It was uh, after we were married, but, you know, oh. it just it just sweetened the deal, really. Yeah, exactly. It's nice to confirm your instinct of getting married. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're, I know you want to keep things positive, which is good. So do you have more stories of concerts and, and moments at events that you've been to that have really just like fueled your fire and said, I, this, I'm in this for the right reasons. I'm so glad I'm doing this. Like good stories, positive things that have happened at shows and that kind of thing. They all start to blur together after a little while, but you feel really good when someone says, oh, I really like that or what have you. But I'd say one of the most positive things ever was uh, I had a song that I wrote around 2003 or 2004 called Music Can Heal, and we kept putting it off with releasing it because when I first started performing it, people really, for some reason, had it in their head that I was a comedy musician, which I wasn't. There were elements of comedy there, but... There was also a lot of truth there and there was sadness. So anyways, it really stuck in my craw. But when I first started premiering the song, Music Can Heal, people would boo. They would throw stuff at me like it was way what? too serious, way too depressing. They hated the song. And then around 2009, uh, a young lady came up to me and got the song title tattooed on her body. And then later. Wow. Another person had asked me, hey, could you write out a verse of that song? It was a very specific verse that they wanted. And they, they wanted me to write it by hand and send it to them in the mail. And they got my handwriting of, the I think, the bridge of the song tattooed on their arm. So this Jeez. song that I was now terrified to perform because audiences had turned on me, it actually turned out that it had resonated with just the right people. And they were getting it tattooed on their body. And the same actually happened with a song on the new album, Anything But Plain. I'd been putting off putting that song out for years in an official capacity because I just didn't think anyone was going to like it. It was a little too sincere. It was a little too on the nose. And I couldn't take that kind of rejection again. Mm -hmm. And just a few months ago, a young lady got the title of the song tattooed on her ankle. And I went, OK, well, I guess I can put it on the next record now. <laughs> so I, I think that's that's about it. Like when when people decide my my lyrics or my song titles are going to be tattooed on their body forevermore. They'll have to explain it at every job interview they have till yeah. the end of time. That's when I'm like, that's why I'm doing this. Now, it's considerably less tattoos than, say, Black Flag has inspired. But well, yeah. <laughs> how many of those people do you think are still listening to Damaged right now? <laughs> or have jobs. Oh. <laughs> hey, those punks, those old punks, they didn't sell out. They bought in. They bought in. That's right. Well, that shows you that a lot of songs will resonate with some people who maybe just don't even go to shows like they just like listening to your albums and not they don't like going to live shows. That's kind of me. Like, it's tough for me to go to shows. I'm really an old man. I don't like I hate loud. Places I don't like with loud people. places and people sweating on me. But I love uh, listening to like things in my car and the peace and comfort of my car. And like I can actually hear all your lyrics and I can because people aren't yelling in my ear or something. So I'm like some people will just absorb it in different ways and they connected to it when their room. They could listen to your song and. They're not worried about the audience booing around them because they're just connecting with it, you know, in a personal way. I find that the older I get, the more that I agree with uh, what you've just said. Um, 
I, I've been liking going to concerts less and less and less recently and starting to feel like, oh, you know, maybe I'm just too old for this. Maybe I've worked in show business for so long that a lot of that magic was gone. You know, you used to be really excited for this, Mark, when you were little. And now, you know, um, what's what each stagehand's job is. You know that if someone's singing off key, it's likely a bad monitor mix. There's really no mystery left. But I'm getting far more falling far more in love with recorded sound than ever before. And that's what I'm really connecting to. And actually just the, uh, just last weekend we went to see a show where I didn't think I was going to enjoy the opening act, but I knew I was going to love the headliner and it got totally turned around on me. The opening act was chic. You remember, uh, the disco tune freak out. Yeah. You know, the, freak out. Well, the freak is what it's called actually, but everybody knows it by freak out. Um, it was that group, right? Mm-hmm. They were opening for Duran Duran, who I've loved since I was little. Oh, yeah. Chic is run by Niall Rogers. Niall Rogers is a producer that produced such songs as, well, most of Diana Ross's solo career, uh, Like a Virgin by Madonna, a couple of Duran Duran albums, uh, just recently Get Lucky with Daft Punk, and... Uh, oh, what was that uh, That really big tune that he played in the middle? I, I'm blanking on it now, but I'm sure I'm going to remember it later. Anyways, Niall Rogers and Sheik came out and for one hour straight only played the songs that he has produced that you know. And <laughs> it turned into stuff white people like Central. I mean, it was just this massive dance party in this amphitheater. And then Duran Duran came out and tried to play you nothing but their new record. <laughs> That probably didn't go over very well. It wasn't uh, It wasn't what I had envisioned for a Duran Duran concert, but I also didn't envision walking out going, I didn't know that Sheik was amazing. <laughs> like Sheik brought the house down. They were probably the best opening acts I've ever seen. But for people like, uh, like say, you don't like listening to music live in concert. You don't enjoy the sweat and the beer and the, the urine smell that every club <laughs> had. Like... I don't know who they call to install the dank at rock clubs, but it has to be that like I've been there on opening nights, grand openings for clubs and the urine smell is already there. So that's a good racket if you can get into it. But for folks like you, I've made a live album called The Real Live Sound of Mark with a C where you can hear the songs that uh, I sing that come with stories. Oftentimes you need the story to understand what the hell I'm singing about because sometimes the song is really to the punchline to a setup you merely haven't heard. Which is good for people who don't want to go to the concert. They can actually listen to it on CD. Yeah, I can totally hook you up with that. Remind me someday when I'm near you. Or uh, if you'd like, we have, of course, we have a double LP version because if it's a live album, it's got to be double live. So I might have already bought that one. I'm not sure. Well, just saying, if you don't (laughs) enjoy concerts, you can still enjoy what a Mark with a C concert is like. And we left in specifically the bum notes. We actually (laughs) cut songs that I played too perfectly that night. That's no joke. Because it wouldn't sound authentic. It wasn't interesting. Mm. Like, if you want to hear what it sounds like when I sing it right, you've got the record already. But if you want to hear me screw up Nerdy Girls, I was sweating a lot and like my uh, my glasses were falling off my face. And you hear me in the solo going, oh, I totally fucked up my glasses instead of the lyric I was supposed to be singing. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's more interesting than getting it right, isn't it? Yeah, it's got character. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good way. You know, that's what we say about houses that are unfit to live in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, hey, you guys not being into music, can I ask you, like, what are your favorite records? Like, 
albums. Do you have favorites, even though you're not really into music? Well, it's weird because I haven't bought an album, like a full-on album, while well, I did it at your concert. But before that, I probably hadn't bought a real full album since high school. So that was, you know, 12, 15 years ago. <laughs> wow, I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> as far as full albums that I, I really do love front to back, not just individuals, I can really only think of one. And that is uh, Flood by They Might Be Giants. Oh, yeah. It's an album I, I truly love front to back. And you're recording this from Central Florida. You're talking to me instead of seeing They Might Be Giants, who are literally on stage right now while we are having this conversation. Oh, he's in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, oh. I'm uh, Sa- San Jose, but yeah. Oh, San Jose. Oh, well, feel free to edit all of that out. My bad. <laughs> I didn't know they were yeah, here, Yeah, unfortunately, They Might Be Giants don't make it to the West Coast that often. Oh, that's too You bad. know, well, I got to play with They Might Be Giants once, and uh, a good what? time was had by some. By wow. some? Where, where'd you play with them? Uh, the, the last Nerdapalooza. They, uh, I was playing the same day as they did. They were the headliners on the Saturday night. And I, I'll tell you, They Might Be Giants went on and I think specifically played the most difficult show possible for festival goers. Like there were not a lot of hits in this show, but instead of Particle Man, you got fingertips in its entirety. Oh, God. And I think the second so encore was just a drum solo. Uh, you know, people are calling him back to the stage and you're like, oh, you got to play Particle Man or you got to play Don't Let's Start. And instead, they jumped right into the song called Number Three from their debut album. Now, hardcore <laughs> fans were very happy about this, but your average festival going yes. crowd, not so much. Right. So and considering a lot of their fans are now under the age of eight. <laughs> what? That probably also they've they've won uh two Grammys for children's albums huh. in the last five years. Yeah, they made five or six children's albums. Uh Here Come the ABCs and uh, Here Comes Science. And between the two, I highly recommend Here Comes Science. Oh yes, I would absolutely agree. They've been making great records recently, but that's cool. Yeah, if you could only keep the one and you went for Flood, I can't really argue with that. Yeah, Flood or John Henry, but that's only because John Henry was their first album with a full band and they really got to do some stuff they hadn't got to before. Maybe not in a good way, but but overall, a very different feeling album. I wouldn't say it's not in a good way. Um, I can't think of anything from that album that I might even dislike. Uh, they didn't start losing me because if you listen to They Might Be Giants, they're going to lose you at some point. Yes, that is accurate. <laughs> they didn't start losing me until around Mink Car, but they definitely <laughs> got me back with The Else, which I, I really loved. Okay. And then uh, now I think... They're they're not back on track because they weren't making the wrong art. They were making the right art for themselves, but not necessarily for my tastes. Now they're right back making the stuff that I, I dig again. Yeah, the height for me uh, as far as interest is probably Factory Showroom. Yeah, what a great album. Uh, S-E-X-X-Y, what a great track. Adam Ant, yeah, so good. Uh, but after that, my, my interest kind of dipped. That being said, that's also when I discovered Girls, so that could have <laughs> proportionally... That'll do made it. Why, made sense. I discovered that girls like they might be giants, and uh, uh, then I didn't have to choose. <laughs> That's true. I didn't discover that. We didn't have a lot of those girls <laughs> that we were, I guess. No, not in Winter Park. I Nuh-uh. would tell you that three of the five biggest they might be giants fanatics I know are women. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, I was surprised because of that stigma that sort of comes with nerdy music to find out that really a lot of the people that pay us uh, nerdy musicians light bill tend to be female. It's true. Hmm. Um, so all you know, I have heard 
like we all have all the jokes about like, oh, Comic-Con, a.k.a. we're all virgins. You know, we've all heard those jokes. It's oh, yeah. simply not true. That's definitely, especially changed nowadays. Definitely not true anymore. Um, my best friend uh, who's, you know, been my best friend pretty much my whole life, Heather, she was going to Doctor Who fan conventions before there was any hype for it in the U.S. back when it was just on public access and community television here in the U.S. I mean, I've never not known ladies to be nerds, but maybe that was just I I was lucking out with the people that I gravitated towards. But I was always really surprised to hear that stigma that, well, women don't like nerdy things. And I'm like, genitals don't make up your mind, you know? It's true. It's always really rubbed me the wrong way, man. But I'm telling you, I can introduce you to some ladies that would go, he loves Flood, I can change him. Well, Steve, have you gotten your wife into They Might Be Giants? <laughs> uh, a, f- a few songs, but overall, no. She did like playing them for the kids that she used to watch. Oh, though. okay. So she's gotten a couple of them. Yeah. Well, that's what kind of music does your wife listen to? She lo- loves The Doors. She's cooler she than us. to that all the time. Uh, her and I are both pretty big fans of Keen and The Killers. Um, as far as more modern stuff, mm-hmm. but that's pretty much where we draw the line. So you guys like uh, some UK rock? Yeah. The, like the more angular UK stuff. But The Doors, you know what? One of my favorite rhythm sections. That's one I can trash. You know what? I'm going to trash it. <laughs> Bam. One yeah, of this my is favorite happening. rhythm sections in the world. John Densmore, he's in a rock band, but he's playing jazz drums. Ray Manzarek, keeping the tight bass grooves on the organ. Unbelievable. <laughs> Nobody annoys the piss out of me more than Jim Morrison. He's that guy <laughs> that you went to yeah. high school with that stole your girlfriend every time you got a girlfriend. <laughs> I mean, it, it, he was like he was out to get you specifically. And on top of it, wrote the worst poems. And he was like, yeah, these are lyrics. And you're like, no, they're not. They're not even complete sentences. They're just fragments. Nobody cares about lizards as much as you think they do and but now, that being said now if you'll excuse me i have to go scream on stage for an hour <laughs> that being said i i do wish that the doors had lived long enough so that they could make a christmas album because i bet it would have been cool as hell oh god <laughs> i don't have any ideas for it i'm just saying the doors christmas album don't you want to hear that too <laughs> Santa Claus came around. <laughs> Riders on the sleigh? Come on. <laughs> Riders on the sleigh. That'd be awful. <laughs> so you did a brief mention of Nerdapalooza. Now, that was something that you you helped develop that, yes? Um, well, no. No, I was, oh. uh, I was definitely friends with some of the people that were involved with the festival, but I didn't start off as part of Nerd Music. Nerd Music kind of embraced me and said, Mark, one of us. And I said, okay, I'm just happy you're listening. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I didn't fight it, but... Because I was playing those shows, I got to know the the folks that were involved with Nerdapalooza very, very well. And some of them I still count as my very best friends to this day. Unfortunately, the festival uh, had to uh, had to come to an end. It was a little controversial. It was sad. But ultimately, Nerdapalooza wasn't where the money was. Mm. Full stop. That's, that's about as into it as I can get. I do love the idea of, you know, nerdy and quotations musicians getting a venue to themselves for a weekend. That's just a pretty awesome idea. And I'm glad that it's, it was existed for a while and that new things like that are popping up, Nerdfest and stuff like that. So, yeah, Nerdfest is sort of 
uh, a successor to Nerdapalooza. It's run by a couple of local nerds, most uh, specifically a guy named Chozo Ninpo. But there, there's a lot of other people that work behind the scenes. He's just more the, the sort of public face of Nerdfest. And they're carrying that same torch with, you know, when you go to conventions, there's always those side rooms where those nerdy bands are playing. What if we just paid attention to those artists for a little while? But Nerdfest itself, uh, where Nerdapalooza focused 100% on the music. Last year's Nerdfest took place at the Orlando Science Center, so there was digital movie screenings, there were panels. It's got a little bit more of a con atmosphere to it than Nerdapalooza did, so it's not really fair to line them up next to each other, but Mm. it's the closest thing to a Nerdapalooza that we currently have in the Southeast. Yeah, and I hope our listeners out there have something similar to them popping up. If you live in a bigger city, probably, but they're, it's pretty And neat. if so, let me know. I want to come play it. I want to come sing for you, dear listeners, specifically. Absolutely. Well, before we go, we should talk about, you also have a new album out. Ah, yes. Unicorns get more bacon. <laughs> Tell us something about that. Well, I set out to make a double album. And when I got pretty close to the end of recording everything that I'd set out to record, I listened to it and went... You know, this is a little too scattershot to be a double album, so let me just pick my 12 favorite songs that I would say, you know, each of these could stand alone if I had to release a single a month for a year. What 12 songs would I pick? And that's what you've got on the record. And it turned out that they actually sat really well next to each other, and I'm really proud of it. I'm happy to say, and and you're supposed to say this in interviews, you're supposed to say, I think it's one of my best, but I would actually put it (laughs) in my top three that I've ever done. It's a, I think it's really strong despite my presence. Like I wrote it, but I can still enjoy it as if someone else wrote it. Uh, I played all the instruments on it, but luckily I, I lucked into having it mastered by a legend, Mr. Mark Kramer. He was the gentleman who was in the butthole surfers. He was in shockabilly. He discovered low. He, uh, mastered records by ween. He discovered and mastered records by Daniel Johnston. This was a huge deal to me. He's a hero of mine and having him work on my record is just about the highest accolade I could ever hope to reach for. Plus the art, as you mentioned, the front cover has an illustration that was done by my daughter as a school assignment and she gave it to me and I went, well, that's clearly an album cover. And then the rest <laughs> of the design was finished by a lady who goes by the name That Catherine. She's also known as Catherine Miller. She's the Canadian comic artist who does the strip called Robot of Leisure, which is probably my favorite comic strip of all time. So a lot of this record is just me being proud of who I work with, and I couldn't be happier about any single aspect of it. There's nothing about it I would change. And considering I finished making the record in October, but then you had to wait for the plant to make it and duplicate it and all that stuff, that I'm still not sick of it and still wouldn't change anything about it, people, I get sick of stuff easy, all right? I gave up on the show Orphan Black because I was just tired of seeing the same actress all the time in the show. (laughs) I love that show. (laughs) It had promised, but it kind of lost me. We can talk about that in a moment, but if I'm not (laughs) sick of unicorns get more bacon, you might kind of like it. Absolutely. And you know, when you perform it live, you can perform it with a, you have your own live band as well that you sometimes perform those songs with as well, right? Yeah, it was really written with them in mind. Uh, we couldn't make our schedules line up to have the band on the record. So I had to kind of write these skeletal parts that 
the much better bassist and drummer that I play with live could improve upon. And I think that the album's a really good starting point. And then you go see the group live and you go, oh, that's what it could be done if it was played by real musicians, huh? (laughs) And so, yes, I, I can't pat myself on the back enough about Unicorns Get More Bacon. They're 12 of my favorite pop songs that I've ever written. And I couldn't be more proud that uh, if it were the first Mark with a C that you ever heard. Well, awesome. People go out there and find it. And where can they find it and purchase it and uh, all that jazz? Well, if you want a physical copy, you'd go to either markwithac.com or markwithac.bandcamp.com. If you buy it on vinyl, it's purple. I'm sorry. Well, kind of purple when you spin it because it's pink and blue splattered. (laughs) Uh, so it looks beautiful. It looks like a big lollipop and you're going to want to eat it, but don't because there's songs on it and you'll ruin it if you try to eat it. And plus, it, yeah, you can't digest PVC. Um, don't take that as a dare either. You can't. Uh, it's also available on compact disc on that site. But if you prefer your music in rather non-tangible ways, I'm not here to tell you that there's anything wrong with that. You can stream it on Spotify and I make point oh oh seven cents every time you listen to one of my songs. So hey. please do that because I've been saving up for a sandwich and uh, <laughs> you can also buy it on iTunes digitally or Amazon MP3. And if you really want, you can actually uh, buy it digitally from my site. But uh I don't know. You actually have to try really hard to not end up on a page where unicorns get more bacon is available. You have to get up early in the morning to avoid it. And so far, good job, world. You're crushing it. (laughs) (laughs) So you heard him, Internet. Just like us, there's no excuse to not have this album and not listen to Mark with a C. There you go. And if they want to contact you directly, is there a way to do that? No, I don't talk to my fucking... No, I'm kidding. Um, of course. Uh, <laughs> just uh, look up Mark with a C on Facebook. Or if you want to go directly, facebook.com slash Mark with a C music. I'm happy to talk to you about whatever. I, I love talking to people that enjoy what I do and uh, maybe people who want to understand what I do. They're like, I think I'm supposed to like you, but I don't get it. You know, can you clarify? Uh, also, Just I'm like on me. Twitter at MarkFi, M-A-R-C-F-I, because there's Lo-Fi, Hi-Fi, Mid-Fi, and MarkFi. And if you've heard one of my records, you know exactly what fidelity I'm talking about. I'm also on Tumblr, but that doesn't matter because nobody looks for me there. They mostly just go there to, like, post Harry Potter gifts and their fetishes. Um <laughs> That's been my experience. Yeah, like Tumblr scares the crap out of me. And I've got an Instagram, which is at Mark with A, but Mark with a C was taken. So I'm just Mark with A and I didn't finish (laughs) the word. Are you also on the Snapchats? No, no. I actually have had a couple of fans that will say, don't respect the fact that I'm monogamous and happily married. So having Snapchat seemed like a good way to give them a new avenue to continue to disrespect those boundaries so no <laughs> actually steve and i had the idea of uh since usually it's used for dick pics that we were gonna have a, have a snapchat account where we just post a different picture of a different richard every week richard i've done Nixon, that if you go richard to my Burton. instagram you'll see my my dick pics of dick cheney oh um, gosh you've dick already done Clark, it <laughs> dick damn it Van we're Dyke. way behind <laughs> that's a great idea you, see, you, already, you already did it damn it yeah i mean <laughs> All you, right. you can also do richard simmons if you want because if you're rich you're a dick that's true Right. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining us, Mark. It's been an awesome experience. I've learned a lot, and I think our audience has too, and they probably want to check you out now. Oh, thank you so much. This was a blast to be on your podcast. Thanks a lot for coming. Awesome. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me. This has been great, and I look forward to other dalliances with you two fine, upstanding gentlemen. We do appreciate it. (laughs) 
somebody tells you that you're a dick You might be a dick, so be prepared That some people just aren't gonna like you If somebody tells you that your words hurt They might be hurt, so be prepared For the chance that you're a dick Or they just want attention But how did it get this way? We're getting closer every day To the thing that we've all gotta face We're all gonna fail in public Thanks again, Mark, with a C for joining us. Hope our viewers and listeners enjoyed it. Uh, check out his new album, Unicorns Get More Bacon. Absolutely. Or you can check out Songs for Aubrey, his EP done in benefit to a young lady with cystic fibrosis. Check it out. Donate. Even if you don't want to listen to the album, you can donate directly to her. Exactly. It's markwithac.bandcamp.com. Yep. And you can find all those things there and check it out. Or on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, all those places. All the places you can find it. Absolutely.
If you'd like to find out more about us, you can always check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash aplayonnerds. Or check us out on Twitter and Instagram at aplayonnerds. We're also streaming live game content all the time on twitch.tv slash aplayonnerds. Fun videos and stuff to check out, youtube.com slash playonnerds. And also please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if possible because that lets us be easily searched in the iTunes search index for podcasts and that way we know if we stink exactly let us know if you hate us or you love us that's always great check us out at our website www.playonnerds.com where all this content can be found at the tip of your fingers and you can also always email us at anything at a and then check us out on i guess snapchat maybe <laughs> for dick sticks or, or tumblr <laughs> tumblrs Periscopes. Uh, you could also throw a rock at us with a message on it. Carrier pigeons. We accept cassette tapes. <laughs> I love cassette tapes. We just want to hear from you. Yes, please send us anything you like at any social media outlets. However you do it, check us out. And how. How.